You are listening to Nerd Best Friends, a podcast that covers the nerdy conversations you're already having, or wish you could. It's the nerdiest thing you'll do this week. Welcome back to Nerd Best Friends. I am Annalise, and I am here with my best friend, Rob. Hey, it's me, Rob, your best friend, your podcast host, and your Spiel de Jahres. The Nerd Best Friends podcast can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and more. Subscribe and follow us now. If you'd like to support our podcast, find us on Venmo or click the tip jar at nerdbestfriends.com. This is Season 2, Episode 32, and this is the one with the special guest living the life of our dreams. But first, Rob's recommendations. I don't really have a recommendation or a place to point anybody to this week, but I am going to just talk about something that's new to me. I got a hold of my first COcast miniatures the other day. COcast is a different way of casting miniatures. So historically, when you get your plastic little minifigs, they come from someplace in Asia in a giant factory where they make their uh, molds out of these big like steel molds. They're very expensive. They take a very long time to make. They wear out over time. They break and then those models are gone forever. Like if you've ever had a game that got discontinued or you love the little army guys that you had and then they stopped selling them, it was probably because that mold broke and it was thousands of dollars to replace it. So they didn't. Hmm. COcast is a new technology that is, from what I understand, way cheaper as they're making the molds out of silicone and they have the machine is smaller they can put these casts together or these uh these molds together and pump plastic through them make these things if they wear out they break it's not a big deal to replace them but the plastic is different so what i noticed was the plastic that is in there is a lot more pliable you can kind of like I don't know. You can kind of wiggle them around a little bit without, without bending them, right? If you like bend your, your Citadel miniature sword down, it's going to get a big kink in it, right? But these are a little bit more rubbery. They do have the same kind of like mold lines and flashing. And I noticed even taking those apart, like it kind of stretches like a rubber and you can like snap it off in some places, but the detail's really good. And uh, I painted up my first little set of goblins that I got from uh, a Kickstarter that used this method. And it's exciting. Like they painted up really well. They were really easy to use. So to think about more models being able to be cast not overseas for cheaper. It's all good for letting more people into the hobby and getting things a little bit quicker, making that turnaround a little bit better and opening that up to more artists and things like that. CO cast. Mm. I I think you've kind of mentioned some of this before that this is where the industry was going because the molds are so much cheaper to make. But then you kind of answered my question. We know that things of the yesterday were built to last a little bit longer. And now we're finding industries, especially in gaming, be these pieces where, well, they break, they break. We can order another one for $3, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can just get another and they're not really made to last anymore. But you're telling me they're actually a little bit better because they're movable and pliable a little bit? I don't know about better. It was just different to notice. That was something I was looking forward to checking out was like, what's the plastic quality going to be like? And what are they going to look like? And detail wise, they're, they're great. They just have a little bit of a different feel when you're working with them. 
Yeah. And then of course, 3D printing, right? That's going to be, it's, it's kind of a competitor in that space of, all right, if we want to do our molds, we want to make figures and not expensive and not overseas. Well, there's the resin printing, which is certainly something you could do. And then there's also this option, which we'll see where that goes. I know some companies are now doing smaller game companies are doing 3D prints like made to order. They're even having them model wise, right? Modular that you put them together kind of things. I think it's Battletech that's doing that. They switch to a resin 3D print model for their company. Well, speaking of your painting of these new miniatures, we have some nerd mail. Nerd mail. So Rob has been mini painting like mad, and we've been sharing some of that on our social medias. And we got a question, and I don't know if it, I can't remember if it was Facebook or Instagram. One of the videos of Rob painting had the hashtag slap chop. And uh, we got a question, Rob, what is slap chop? I'm shocked that somebody has not already seen slap chop as is like, it's just so, it's so popular and it's permeating so much on a lot of our like nerd channels and certainly my YouTube things that I follow have all blown up. Remember, not everyone is, is in deep as you are. I didn't know what slap chop was till you told me <laughs> and showed it to me. So we have some listeners that are more on my end of the paint spectrum who are like, what's this? So I didn't mean to be offensive. Like, <laughs> no, no, oh no. my gosh, I can't get away from it now. Now I'm looking for other techniques and I can't find anything except slap chop these days. But it is something that really came back or or is in this boom since the um, popularity of the transparent paints, right? So like Citadel's contrast paints, Army Painter speed paints, these thin paints that are not so opaque and you can kind of see through them a little bit. So the slap chop technique as we normally do it is a black undercoat on your model and then you start highlighting it with maybe a medium gray and then do another lighter highlight with like a bright white on the mini. So you've got dark in the most deep recesses. You've got a medium color on most of it and then like a brighter highlight on all the edges and things. Then you paint on your transparent paints and it gives them just a whole nother level of depth and shadow. It makes it really quick and easy because your edge highlights or your recess shading is already done on those first, on that first step of the dry brushing. So for me, I've been, like you said, I've been cranking through miniatures. I might be, I'm almost afraid to say it out loud on Elise, but as I look at the calendar and I look at how many minis I painted, I might hit 365 minis in 365 days, like by the end of this year. We'll see. But like, it's like the 63rd day of the year and I've <sighs> painted 67 minis. I counted them up the other day. But so what I've been able to do with this, is, it's just so speedy is um, once I can get a bunch of stuff undercoated when it's not super windy or rainy outside, I'll just lay out all of these black undercoated minis, get my big fat dry brush and my paint. And I'm just doing the slap shop. I'll spend a whole night, you know, just prepping those three steps. And then the rest of the week I can just pump out minis with these contrast paints real quick. And I remember you saying it's allowed you to paint faster, but I also noticed that you're you're painting groups of things. Mm -hmm. So when I look at that and I see like you have 12 of these goblins, so it's almost like an assembly line. You set it up one night and when you go to paint them, all the pants are this color, all the shirts are this color, all the skin is this color. Have you found 
it's as simplistic and easier than uh, the Zenithal when you're doing a group of something that's different? You know, it's the same concept, right? When we were talking about the Zenithal spray with the lighter color, it's doing the same thing. It's just giving a dark medium and light tone in this way. And it kind of, the dry brush does a little bit better job of popping out those edges than the spray does. But yeah, I mean, that's that's left over from my times in college of painting Games Workshop Warhammer armies, that assembly line style. It's just like, what are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm painting boots. I am painting <laughs> 48 boots. That's my night. I mean, you're talking my jam here. You introduced me to painting what has just been over a year now and with the contrast paints. So the Zenithal is one thing, but so everybody knows Rob painted a set of what kind of like a vampire army for what game, Rob? You have to remind me. I painted what set for what now? The set, the set you painted for me, or you didn't paint the set. You oh, the the for me. Dark Tower. No, the oh, set you that was just for me. a bunch of like undead dudes, a bunch of Reaper minis. Oh, okay. So Rob set set it up with the slap chop method for me to try because all I really have is contrast paints and speed paints from Army Speed Painter. So I'm loving it. So now we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I have 86 new miniatures to paint and I'm seriously considering trying this. So to the listener that wrote that in, that question in, your brave question about what slap chop is, <laughs> check out some YouTube videos. Maybe Rob will recommend some to watch next episode and keep trying that paint. You know what? If you're going to do it, let's do a little, uh, let's do a little video episode where I'll show you the tools that I use and like the technique to kind of teach you and listeners about um, it. If you're going to do that for your next big board game, I'm down 86. Awesome. <laughs> now into the episode. We'd like to welcome to the show Dustin from BGE's Games in West Hills, California. Welcome to the show, Dustin. Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit of your nerd cred. Hey, Rob and Annalise. Thanks for having me on here. I'm super excited. It's cool to see you all, like, not really in person, but your faces again. I think it was, uh, I was trying to remember when Free RPG Day was when we first uh, met. I know the next one's in June. Was it in June last year, too? Has it already been almost a year? It it was hot. I know that. Oh, it was yeah, hot. Yeah. yeah, always hot in Los Angeles. But yeah, I'm Dustin from BG's Tabletop. I own a tabletop game store in the West Hills, Los Angeles area. It's really cool. Like you, I was in education for about 10 years. So I always tell people I worked in the service industry restaurant for a decade, education for a decade. And now I'm going into retail for at least a decade if I'm opening a <laughs> store. So yeah, I'm excited to be here. What did you do in education? So in education, I worked mostly abroad. Um, well, I guess I split my time abroad and here. Abroad, I most of my education in the classroom was formally in the classroom. Uh, I worked in a university, worked in an after-school program at in South Korea as well. And then here is a lot of more after-school programs because I never got my teaching credential. I kind of did it backwards. I kind of regret it, but at the same time, I'm like, well, I wouldn't be here if I didn't. So I, I majored in English, minored in education. And if I would have done it backwards, it would have been a different story. But then I went to get my master's, which really helped me abroad when I wanted to apply to like university teaching. I think that makes a lot of sense and it connects some dots for me because as we'll talk about at the end of the interview, Dustin has a YouTube channel of his own. And I noticed that on that channel, you like to talk about a little bit more broad, a little more heady topics when it comes to tabletop gaming and like the sociology of it and psychology of it and those kinds of things. And Dustin, am I right in having read somewhere that BGE actually stands, it, it stands for something and the E is education? 
Correct. Yeah, it's board gaming with education. So we started as a podcast in Taiwan originally, and we were an events-based business. So we did a lot of board game language exchange meetups where people would come and practice. Uh, so Mandarin or English were the two common languages in Taiwan. And then sometimes people come and practice Spanish. Um, we also did like professional development for teachers. And we wanted to do the same thing when we moved to the States. We were going to do like some STEM camps and some like Dungeons and Dragons summer camps and stuff like that. But the pandemic hit. So then I transitioned right. our kind of model into an e-commerce store. And then I went with the idea of first building kind of a, what do you think of a traditional hobby store retail component? And now like over the past, like five or six months, we're finally bringing in those components and really growing um, our like kids programs and stuff. Got it. You know, I had a question down here that I'm going to go ahead and skip to because you mentioned it was through the pandemic. Obviously, that was a really tough time for people in your position where you have a shop that revolves around people coming in, playing together, having conversations, getting recommendations. You mentioned some changes of plans in that e-commerce. Are there things that you learned through that experience or that you you came up with through that experience that that have lasted and that it turned out to to benefit you in any way? For sure. Yeah. I always tell people and because I'm in a Facebook group opening in a tabletop game store and I always tell people I really benefited from starting online first and going very, very slow. I started online and we only carried two publishers when we first started. We carried Looney Labs games, so the Flux games, and we did like, and at the time we were very educational focused, so only games that we can create lesson plans around. And I was working with a retired science teacher who developed lesson plans, classroom materials, at-home learning resources. So we did gen- Genius Games and Looney Labs. So we just carried those games. We we're really pushing the educational component. And it was, I mean, it was awesome. It was great. I think teachers appreciated it. Everybody we talked to appreciated it, but the market wasn't there to kind of establish it as a business model. So we broadened our approach to all kinds of board games. And now we kind of really push the positive aspects of tabletop gaming because we all know like we're learning when we play tabletop games, even if it's not like a hard skill. It's a lot of soft skills, a lot of social navigation, a lot of stuff like that. 100%. Was it your, was it the education focus that started or that started the idea or was it your love of board games that started the idea or how, which, which kind of came first as far as going into, into the shop? That's a good question. So my wife kind of gives me guff for, for telling the story because I've told it maybe probably like 20, 30 times now, but, <laughs> um, so it, it was interesting. So I never really got back into board games. So my first year teaching was in South Korea and I worked in a like a kind of like a cram school is English after their regular school is an English school after the regular school. And I had one group of students classroom, mostly boys and one girl. And this was the hardest time I had with classroom management since I've well, not since I've been teaching. I've had some other tough experiences, but my first tough experience that I had to overcome with classroom management. And I came up with this game when the vendors were very popular at the time. And it was a way that I gamified my classroom. And I had no idea what gamification was at the time. I was just looking for a way to engage my students and kind of reinforce positive behavior. I wanted to see my classroom. So they split up into groups and each group chose an adventure. And I put that adventure on the left side of the board. Anything they did that was positive behavior within their group, the vendor would move over. And on the right side of the board was Loki. So <laughs> groups are competing to get to the right side of the board to face Loki at the end. And so if they answered question correct, their Avenger would move over. One thing I realized I did really well that I learned later was a, a positive way of using gamification is you don't want to take away something a student or a group right. achieved. You don't want to move the Avenger back. So I created my own Avenger. Or I used my own Avenger. I got to choose one. And I was the 
guy competing with them. So if they did behavior I didn't want to see in my classroom, my Avenger would move across. And then going back is like, okay, there's some other fun stuff I could have done. Like at the end of class, they could have got like a, I could have wrapped up a like a piece of paper and they could have tried to throw it at Loki for like bonus because mm-hmm. we reward stars at the end of the classroom, which were a different like kind of management system for the overall school. So that uh, was that a is... long way to answer the question, but it was like, no, that's it was great. gamification. And then I started getting into board games and I started seeing, okay, I can use some of these board game mechanics in my classroom too. So I started kind of implementing that too. Rob, is that similar to what you would do in your when you were in the elementary classroom? I remember you would have like a theme for the year and the students would the lessons you implemented throughout the year somehow revolved back to that theme of the class. Is that kind of along the lines of what you used to do? Yeah, we didn't really gamify that so much, but we we always had a theme in our classroom. And then within that theme, it was a place to kind of launch off discussions of, you know, when we were talking about bigger topics, like we were talking about, like, how does change over time affect things? What are the details that are important to this story? Like, what are the ethics involved in such and such? And so it will always give us a, a little bit of a starting point. Like I, one year, a couple of years, I did, a, I did Star Wars a couple of times where I would theme the classroom out in Star Wars and have movie posters all over the walls. I awesome. think the last year I was in the classroom, we did uh, Pokemon was the theme and we had Pokemon stuff all over the classroom and just gives you, gives you kind of a jumping off point in a theme that way. For gamification, though, there's always little tricks and stuff like that, like Dust was talking about with like your marble jars or your mm. teacher student points and those kinds of things. When I, the last time I was in the classroom and I did a summer school course, I did bring in some board games, more educational based or like problem solving puzzle games, Blockus and Bananagrams and those kinds of things, like made them part of the centers that they would rotate around. And that was that was a really cool setup because I had another I had another adult in the room that could kind of like mm. do a little bit of game management while my center really focused on like whatever reading skill or math skill we were doing. And then as they rotated around, they could go to other different board games that were a little more education based. But now, Dustin, when I go into your shop, I don't see just, you know, educational games. I'm seeing very popular games. So how do you now look at stocking a retail shop when we have such an abundance of different games available? Yeah, it's it's tough. That's one of my, I think, hardest decisions on a day-to-day basis, for sure. I mean, we have to stock what sells, too. We, we are a retail store. Like that's one pillar of our business model is the retail store. The other pillars are events and programs. And this is a topic of contention among a lot of game store owners is talking about how much of your retail floor space should be used for your events and programming. Cause a lot of times that is not what's making money for stores are not the events. And this is more thinking like TCGs, uh, role playing games, stuff like that. On our end, we really leverage our event space for other stuff, for, especially for kids programming. Um, in our summer camp, we did a D and D winter camp and stuff like that. But when it comes to like what product to stock, we, we try to stock a little bit of everything. And I'm not, I would say some game store owners would say maybe that's not the way to go. You should really like niche in and focus on some product lines. However, I like to offer the ability to order products through us. And I think that works really well. Of course, we can't get it faster than you can go on Amazon and get it like in a couple of days, but. I think people appreciate it and they like to support us. And we do offer a small discount depending on the product. And if it's already out, we can offer a small discount if it's ordered through us. But yeah, it's challenging. I mean, we do like kind of the the staples like D&D, Warhammer. We do a lot of indie RPGs. We do board games, Magic, Pokemon. And then we have slowly branched into some of these product lines. Like we just started carrying Warhammer about three months ago. Uh, we're going to bring in Pathfinder, which... 
I was late to the game for that because apparently it was hard and possible to get after the D and D debacle. Right. <laughs> but yeah, we, we just, yeah. we just try to try to do a little bit of everything and board games are my wheelhouse. So that's my, like my soft spot. And that's gotta be the toughest balance to have. Cause I, I will say what I remember about when we were in your shop, there were, we spent some time there looking around and like you just had different types of customers come in in that 45 minutes or hour that we were there to the Mm. extent that you had a family come in that said, oh my gosh, this is the first game store that has games for my young daughter. And they bought a couple of young games for you. And he was thanking you. The the girl's father was saying, thank you for carrying kids games. So I can see just on that experience, the thought that's being put into the the supply of your store, because you don't have, it's not a gigantic space, but Mm. it is a really well-used space. And it's something Rob and I talked about in the intro of our episode. I said, you're living the life of our dreams because for many years, Rob and I, I mean, 20 years or so, we've been friends for a very long time. We have always talked about the dream of opening like a, a comic book store that also has a games and a community component. The whole drive back, we were talking about how neat and organized the room was. I think you have a great use of the space of how many tables you have for gaming and also that you had games for rent. If that's still a, a, a thing that you have in your store, that was also impressive, right? For a few dollars, we could try this game and then decide if we want to buy it or not. Like that's Those are three very smart components. So the work that you are doing, it, it can be seen from just a customer who's been there for you know an hour. I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. And uh, you, you both can totally open a game store. You should, you should go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we try to, like, I always mention to people too, a couple things that are uh, like a philosophy. And when we opened, well, first I always mention, you mentioned the younger kids. I always mention when people come in and we have tabletop games for ages two and up, two and adults. And that's really important to me is because I think gaming again is really for anyone and everyone. It's just a matter of which game is the right one for you. One thing we always think about when we curate our spaces we want to be that bridge between families like that or between people who have never stepped foot in a game store and they can kind of feel comfortable so we always think about like okay we got to put the classics up front so we have like treble monopoly clue scrabble all that all those classics that i wish i can move people away from them but at the same time like we want people to feel comfortable and then maybe next time they come in we can suggest another game um, or like very popular ips like marvel games like anime is really popular right now pokemon but yeah, we try it. We try to really bridge that connection. How has Kickstarter and like GameFound and things like that really either helped or or made things difficult for a tabletop game store? Those so it's tough. It's really tough. And well, it's tough and it's not. So games like Frosthaven that was that was an easy auto back as a retailer, and we took some pre orders. I mean, we started taking pre orders last February, and. We just got a retail order in like about a month ago. So it took about a year for our our games to get here. And a lot of publishers are understanding where they don't collect the payment for your order too soon. So some will wait until it's about to ship either from across seas or maybe even when it gets to the warehouse, they'll take order finally when it's shipping from the States to out to retailers. So it just depends. Some take it when you back the Kickstarter. So I have to balance that between like, is it worth tying up this much money in cash flow for a game that I won't get for a year. For Frosthaven, it totally was. And that game's awesome. That's one, when you ask me with the nerdiest thing, that's one thing we did this past week. But when it comes to like other publishers that I admire and I think they have a good product, it's tough because I'm not too sure if it will do well. And with a lot of 
publishers, most of the time when you're going directly to the publisher, they have a minimum order quantity. And it's usually a case, which is like four to six games, depending on the size of the mm-hmm. game. And sometimes a sing- like a single copy of their game doesn't sell. So with Kickstarter, it's just tough to know which ones do well. And then also cash flow being tied up. I think maybe in like six months, we can start taking more risks on Kickstarters like that because our cash flow is really month to month still because we're still experiencing a lot of growing pains. We have our startup costs. You know, we're trying to still grow our overall inventory, but we're getting there. I did not know that with the retailer pledges sometimes that they they don't charge until the game is actually ready to ship. That's actually really cool of them. Yeah. Uh, Those companies that do do that. What experience have you had like after the fact? Do most companies hold back some for retail, you know, or or plan for that when they're making the game? Because I know from just the consumer side, if I miss a Kickstarter, it's a long time if I can find it, you know, online mm. or in some other store. And it's then of course the markup is the markup looks to me like the the shop or the or the online place that I'm buying it from bought it from someone at retail you know at market price and then are mm. marking it up even after that yeah yeah I think it just depends publisher to publisher and game to game and a lot of times I think it comes down to publishers and their deals they make with distribution before they start printing their game. And it's really tough for new publishers, I would think, because they don't really know. They haven't really penetrated the market. They don't know what to expect as far as like how many copies will sell after the fact. Popular publishers who have done games previously will print more, right? They'll print more for expecting it to go to distribution. And then some stores, maybe I haven't got to the point where I'll back a Kickstarter unless they offer good retailer terms for us. So Usually to anyone thinking about opening a game store, we try to shoot for like 40 to 50% margins. Like 50% margin is really like solid. 40% is like, okay, I need to be pretty sure this game's going to do well or at least well enough. Um, but if it's under that and I, you have to include shipping into that too, because some publishers will give you a margin of like 45%, but then we'll have to pay for shipping or we'll split shipping 50 50. So you're really not 45%. You're more like 40% on the margin. So just keeping that stuff in mind too. And shipping has been a problem over these last couple of years. Mm. The prices have really gone up. Are you finding some leeway for retailers there or is it also just slamming you too? Yeah, I mean, I so I've learned a few things. One, when I did the online store, we offer $95 if you're getting anything from us. It's free shipping over $95. For some items, I go back to the Frost Haven example because shipping that is very expensive. If I'm shipping it to the East Coast, it's like $40, $45. So we upcharge that. We charge to like $269 when it retails actually for $249. Because we're now when we backed it as a retailer, it was, you know, we got in before they raised the MSRP. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Their MSRP was lower and then they raised it and now it's a higher MSRP. And now as it retailer we pay more for it because msrp is higher now too but we're also paying a little bit of shipping for it as well we're helping split the shipping costs with some publishers so if that's the case i will raise the price of it on our website at least because we do offer free shipping but we got to supplement that somehow because if we're offering free shipping on the game we're almost you know we're, we're getting close to break even on on shipping out a game so there's an interesting psychology there too, right? When I click on the game and see, oh my gosh, it's going to be $40 to ship it. Yeah. I think twice, but oh, if it's $19.99 for shipping it, I don't, even though I'm still paying that money, right? Right, a, right. That's the tough part about being a, a shop owner. That's the part I would worry about, at least, <laughs> is how the price oh, things just right. 100%, yes. <laughs> to get 
to get people in the door and ha- to to make sure people are happy at the end result, mm. right? With that price. And, and the Kickstarter complication and the, the crowdfund complication is a thing, even though they offer retail packages for shops. How do you know Frosthaven is going to become a Frosthaven? How do you know, you know, Dark Tower was really expensive, but mm. people are clamoring for it. How do you, unless you have a ton of capital to, to, to sit on that cash flow and take a gamble at some of these games, there's no way to know. So that, right. that's probably the, the, to me, the scariest part of it is having to, con- like, do you go to like board tabletop game oh, conventions, like trade shows? Yeah. Trade shows? Yeah. So we are starting, I don't know if you're familiar with strategic con that they do in Los Angeles near LAX. They do that three times a year, um, every like three day holiday. We do that as a vendor. And then I'm going to at least one this year. And that's Gamma. That's for like, retailers, distributors, publishers. I'm going to try to go to Origins also, but we'll see if we can make that happen. Like with Frosthaven or other games, I don't really know, but at the same time, I'm thinking about how much money I have tied up and I don't do it across. Like I I missed Dark Tower because I wasn't too sure. Gloomhaven did excellent. Everybody really like Frosthaven, the amount raised on Kickstarter was really high. It's like, if it doesn't do well, I have, you know, at least probably get my money back i can at some point they'll sell and it's just like that one project that we're kind of investing quite a bit of money in and then maybe after that one fulfilled so now after like we've pretty much fulfilled those we're going to get a few more copies so if anybody's looking for a copy of frosting we should be getting some more at the end of march <laughs> april um they have a few extra for retailers after they fulfill all the kickstarter so we got we were a retail a kickstarter backer so we got our copies as a kickstarter backer Right. Um, but now if you missed it as a retailer Kickstarter, you, some retailers are going to be able to get some extra copies. So kind of along the same line. So we're talking about margins and stuff and some might find this interesting. So with magic in particular. So magic, we, we have a standard pricing model for all our product lines. Board games are standard MSRP. Sometimes we offer some games a little bit cheaper when it's something like Frost Haven, we'll, we'll mark it up just to cover shipping like games workshop or MSRP. RPGs, MSRP, but when it comes to TCGs, we're more market-based, but we try to get as close to MSRP as we can for product. Again, just trying to work with our margins as much as possible, but magic is really, really tough. So most of the time, the margins are very, very small. So whenever a product comes out where the market price is like skyrocketing, we try to price it closer to market because we need to make up our margins on the product that just does not give us the margins with magic. So with TCGs, it helps market price because it's just across the board a bit more averaging outer margins. Would you say um, mar- magic's kind of the thing you try to to bring them into the store in hopes that they buy something else along with it kind of mindset? Yeah, so definitely magic that the accessories is where our margins kind of get things made up. We make up our margins. We're not like the thing is, though, we're not we're kind of a magic store. We're not. Our events aren't super cheap compared to others in the area. Like I, we're probably one of the higher priced events for Magic and our product. I mean, our product is market price. You're probably going to pay about the same anywhere else in the area. So we don't really like try to cater towards a Magic crowd, but we do, we do Magic twice a week just because we do have some community players who love to come in our store and play. So we're not trying to compete and trying to like suck magic players from other stores but we're just offering it as a game because everybody kind of expects it as a game store as well um and we have like singles too and everybody likes that plays magic likes to go at one store and check out the singles there go to another store check out their singles there so you've got magic twice a week can you talk more about the events and the the different calendar things that you have going on 
Yeah, yeah. So we do magic twice a week, Wednesday, Friday, Wednesday Commander, Friday Night Magic, and then D&D on Thursdays. And we're going to start doing a non-5e RPG night on Fridays. I started it last month with Mothership, so I'm doing it again at the end of this month. So I'm going to do that about once a month. Saturday, we do a rotation of stuff. Right now, most of our Saturdays are filled up with our D&D for Kids campaigns. And those are a little bit different than our all ages. Parents are able to drop their kids off for the two hours. We pay our DMs because they're hosting a session with kids. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... And that's mostly our Saturdays. Sometimes we do something after like around 6 or 6.30. Uh, I think we have a board game meetup on the 25th. And then Sunday are our Pokemon days. And that's pretty much it. Then Monday, we're, we're 4 to 7. We're kind of half days. We might extend those hours in April because it does seem like people are, are wanting to come in earlier now. So I have seen some events on your social media because we've been following since we visited your shop that are, and I appreciated this. There was one I saw that was like a, a, a build your... RPG player, your, your D and D player. Um, and that seemed more towards maybe people who weren't as familiar with Dungeons and Dragons. So are those kind of one offs? Have you found those to be, uh, engaging and, and successful in your community? Yeah, they're super successful. We don't do them as often because we try to kind of build up the demand for them. Uh, we mentioned like when we have a lot of players that are coming in and are like, Oh, I've never played D and D before. I'd love to learn when we kind of feel like that's happening pretty often. We'll be like, okay, well, we're, we're planning a creature first. D&D character night. And yeah, you come in, it's led by one of our staff. They walk you through just the process of how to create a character. And then at the end, you get a little combat action to kind of experience that too. Uh, so we, yeah, we do stuff like that. We also had a learn to DM course session, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what you would call it. Maybe series, course series. So it was learn to DM 102, learn to DM or 101, 102, 103. So that was really cool. Hopefully we can do that again too. So are you the expert in all of these, uh, all of these different realms of teaching these courses? Or do you reach out to the community or do you have, you know, a, a group of others? Is it your gaming group? How do you, how do you staff all of these events? I don't know. I would say up until recently, maybe I wish I was an expert, but I'm very glad I'm not an expert because I'm tired of, <laughs> I wouldn't say tired, but it's, it's very overwhelming to do everything. And I think right. I'm finally in the position or at least comfortable and kind of telling myself I need to reach out to others to be able to do some of this stuff. We have like awesome staff. One, I don't know if I want to mention the names because I don't have permission, but yeah, one staff, uh, she just devoured Warhammer and Games Workshop Ooh. products. Like she didn't know anything about it two, three months ago. And now she knows like a lot. I mean, I wouldn't say everything, but she knows a lot and she's going to be really? hosting our, wow. our first like Warhammer event. It's a kill team league, which is actually really cool. I'm excited for because you don't have to know anything about Warhammer or kill team to get started. It starts Very with week cool. one building your models. Week two and three are painting. Week four is a tutorial of kill team. And then week five, we're doing a tournament. So I'm actually participating in that as a player, which I don't get to do that often. Nice. So I'm super awesome. excited for that. Yeah. So well, good for her. Warhammer's yeah, crunchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's and she like she's also our D and D expert, and she knows magic really well too. So, and then another staff, he is very much a D and D player, very great at hosting games. Like he was our first DM in the store, and now he runs our D and D for kids sessions. And then he also is a staff helps behind the register as well. And then we have a couple other DMs that do it for kids. And then we have someone who helps with our Pokemon stuff as well. So yeah, we really try to find someone, find people that can help. And whether it's like paid stuff or we like our DMs on Thursdays, we give store credit and really they can run whatever game they want as long as they're following our store rules and they get store credit for whoever plays in their sessions. Excellent. Sounds like you've got a great crew. That's a good model too. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. I'm 
my New Year's resolution has been to play more games, so we'll see if we'll see if I get to that point this year. Though it sounds to me like you need to create a a nerd goals list for twenty twenty three. Maybe. <laughs> so you've got this great staff, and it sounds like your events are are locked down. What else, or what is it about? And I think you talked about this earlier with like your education focus, but what sets BGE Tabletop apart from other game stores in the area, or what would what what do you want people to take away from this podcast of what makes your store special? So I would say like we're not unique in the sense of game stores around the world where we focus on that educational aspect and that positive impacts of social gaming. I think that's a pretty core component of some other stores. However, definitely in our area, no other store does the D&D camps, the winter camps. Uh, we're going to do this summer, we're going full steam, hoping to do like six to eight weeks of camp. So we'll do like a board game design camp. We'll do a Pokemon camp. We'll do D&D board game camp. We did one last summer where every day was a different soft skill based around a different board game or board games. So that's really unique in our area for sure. I mean, we offer a lot of like small little unique things like our lending library you mentioned earlier. We also do a lot of like beginner focused stuff. So our Warhammer stuff like brand new to Warhammer. We've done some like magic leagues as well. I think what's really been cool is to see like when we first opened, I don't know if it's true now because we have a lot of the return players but when we first opened like 60 to 70 percent of our D players were brand new to the game like had never played before so it's really cool to know like that was kind of our focus and it's actually coming to fruition as seeing new players venture into the tabletop gaming space i need you to settle a bet for us I, <laughs> just just reminded me while you're talking your lending library was this your personal collection of games that you're like i'm okay if pieces disappear or did you just purchase those as the retail store owner with the intention for those to be whatever. It started as our personal collection. Yeah, yeah, personal collection. And then we've acquired like some demo games. Like when we went to Gamma last year, we got a few games from publishers for free and they ended up in our library. Yeah, and then like as far as component go, components go, we kind of set the price to where as long as we read the game twice, we at least pay for the game. So if it gets rented the third time and it's broken or a component's lost, like at least we recouped our costs on the game. Smart. Annalise has a big dumb smile on her face because we <laughs> I won that conversation bet. a couple weeks ago and I was like, I don't think I could ever let people just like yep. touch my games and go away with them. I'm like, I'm such a nerd about it. But yeah. if we open a store, we had this co- we had an exact conversation a couple weeks ago. I should oh say, I mean, God. we've had a couple of awesome generous donors too. So we have a handful of games that have been donated from others too. Once you open a game store, you kind of have to let go of the idea of playing games for a little bit. So. Right. I would imagine so. Like, you're not there to have fun. You're there. You're there yeah. to be in charge. Yeah. Can you tell us about any exciting events or initiatives you have planned moving forward or some thoughts that you're, Future some goals. things you think you're going to roll in? I'm always thinking about growth because owning a game store this size traditionally are based on a lot of talking to a lot of other game stores and reading a lot of posts. It's not a great income. It's not something that is, thankfully, my wife, she's awesome. And she has a full-time position. She works in entertainment. She does like reality TV shows. So she's her career's taken off. It was tough for us because we had about a year and a half where we were both unemployed. So it was like 
but we lived we lived with her parents and we're super fortunate and blessed that we did that and we made that choice to do that because we both had our career ambitions and she was trying to transition into this career change and I was wanting to kind of get the store off the ground. My goal eventually is to grow into a second store or a bigger space. One or the other has to happen if I want to create a salary that's sustainable for myself. I'm still kind of working towards paying myself because I'm hiring on staff and I'm making decisions to grow our inventory. So I'm making decisions to kind of grow the business versus paying myself, which I think is important right now. But I'd like to be in that position to where I can take a decent salary. And then once I get there, another store is kind of something that we really want to do. But we also want to make sure we're we're at capacity here and things are rolling really well here. So this is maybe like definitely another year from now. Our lease here ends. We've officially finished. Oh, no, a year. Yeah, a year was the end of January was our lease. So we have less than a year on our lease. So we kind of have to make a decision towards the end of the year what's going to happen. We'll probably do like month to month. And we have a really strong community here. So I don't see us leaving this space, but um, it'll be a tough decision because I do know we need a bigger space eventually. I have a suspicion that it is extra difficult to have a store like yours in California. (laughs) I think a lot of the gaming community lives in the Midwest and places where like it's cold and the weather's not great. And tabletop gaming is an awesome way to spend the time where in California we have to compete with the beach and hikes Mm. and outdoor spaces and those kinds of things. What do you think? Yeah. And not to mention the the real estate price out here. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the biggest challenge. we're really fortunate. This space is awesome. We like our parking's great, which is another thing in the Midwest. You don't have to worry about usually parking like is very abundant at most places. And here it's like, I don't know, you're, you're both Santa Barbara, right? So right. I feel like I've been there maybe a dozen times, but I haven't like I more just to the beach. I don't know yeah. how parking's there, but here in the Valley, we're a little bit better than like proper LA proper, I guess. So yeah, it's LA's has its unique challenges for sure. And yeah, competing like when it's a nice day, like maybe next weekend when the weather finally warms up, I think a lot of people <laughs> are going to be going to the beach, you know, and hanging out outside. In addition to the store at bgetabletop.com, you also have your, your, your YouTube channel where you do your BGE uh, video cast. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So that's. A kind of a branch of our store. It's something that I really have ambition to get off the ground, but not the bandwidth to do it. <laughs> so I, we did a video cast. We did kind of like season one and we had eight episodes. We we're hoping to do another season because I do have a couple guests lined up. So we'll probably do that here at the end of the month. I know I have one guest. They're launching a Kickstarter and I think it's like March 16th is they, their launch date. So we'll probably probably release an episode then. And then we do like, you know, videos here and there. We did, I did a handful of videos about opening a game store, kind of some tips and tricks. And one, the re- most recent one was going through the store and just talking about the cost of everything in the store. Another recent one that was just more hobby focused that I talked about, if you've never played D&D, how to get started, like something to keep in mind based on my experience and experience talking with new guests in our store and who have never played as well. So that podcast that was uh, now started in the name of the store. And previously, our podcast was Board Game with Education. That's where kind of we grew from to where we are now. I think it's a really good idea. I think the videos do a great job of showing kind of you behind the storefront and making that connection of who you are and, you know, your customers. That's that intangible that an online store can't give you, right? If someone is looking at your store, they meet you, they know about you, they understand how the business is working and your thoughts on it is very important. And I think that's a really smart move. Thank you. Yeah. And one thing we also do, which I don't think a lot of people 
think to do. And whenever someone orders a product from us, I always, I have an app where I can record a video. So whenever I pack up and ship out a video or a product, I record a video and say like, Hey, Annalise, I got your, what did, what was the game? Mansions of Madness. I'm getting yes. that box stuff and shipped out for you. So I always try to like, you know, cause we're, we did, when we started online, we wanted to be the online friendly local game store. So I was thinking about ways that I can make that connection and kind of, cause it, to be honest, we don't get repeat customers online. Most of our customers find us from Google shopping ads, which we have someone that helps us run those and they just find a product they happen to be looking for and they find it through our site. They order it from us once and they usually don't come back. I would say like, Five percent of our online customers are repeat customers. Also, a very cool idea to send that video. I, um, I will say, by the way, Mansions of Madness is amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it awesome. is such a good game. It, it took a long time. I know we were there in June or so. It took a long time for me to play it because Rob and I influence each other in very funny ways since we were teenagers, and he has this rule for himself that he does not play a game until the minis are painted. So. He put that pressure on me and, you know, with just busy life and me being new to painting, it took me a long time to paint all. I mean, there's 70 something minis in that game, in that base game. It took me a while to get to it and then get to play it. It's a really good game. I'm really happy that I found it there at your shop. I knew I'm nothing sure looks, about it, right? I'm, I'm not sure in the game cool. yeah, too. as well as a brand new painter can paint. It does make a difference. They're not little grayish minis mm. around the board everywhere but i've now put in a couple games and i I, it's it's a blast and i love i love that i can play by myself too right my partner's not very big into the tabletop games she does a little bit with me here and there we actually have a we call it date night game night and we try to have it on fridays it doesn't always work with the way our schedules go but we'll play some of your more basic games she might get into this one if i can convince her because it's i it's just really good and then i Mm -hmm. found out there's all kinds of expansions that i weren't i wasn't aware of so i might be uh calling you up about those <laughs> for sure yeah dustin what what are some things that you're nerdy about i know you say you haven't been able to play much but what what are your passions even gaming or otherwise so i'd say i have probably like three main passions gaming of course like anything tabletop related i kind of do and i guess video games would fall under gaming and then running and music those are probably like more listening music i'm not i know you two have a background in music but for me it's just like i just like to listen to some bands and some go to some shows that's great that's a hobby in and of itself with how many just over the last 20 years and the internet and how it's opened up music to different artists and publishers like you can't keep up and there's so many awesome artists out there that are not you know the mainstream front page of apple music or whatever Mm. so and i would say anybody that is interested in like discovering new music a really great app for it which was a surprise for me is tiktok like i've learned discovered so many good like up-and-coming musicians through that app well we are recently on tiktok as well right (laughs) very recently on tiktok um (laughs) and dustin's right when something goes viral on TikTok, even in a little 10 second format, that song automatically suddenly explodes on Spotify or Apple Music or mm-hmm. all the streaming things. It's pretty amazing how different the industry is versus 20 years ago with all of these, with the social media content, with the viral content. Yeah. yeah. I saw a sweater. There was that one, there was the one girl and probably TikTok where she wrote the the alphabet song that ended with F-U. Right. Mm-hmm. That went viral. And then stories about how she wrote that song. Like she was on TikTok live or Instagram live and said, tell me to write a song. And someone said, write a breakup, angry breakup song using the alphabet. And she writes this song. It goes viral. <laughs> I saw someone with a sweatshirt. 
that said, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, U. It was and Kim. Like, She's in our D&D group on Wednesday was night. That, was that Kim? That. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, like, you can buy that in Target. <laughs> like, oh, man. Like, how amazing is it that this girl wrote this song, and then all of a sudden, a couple years later, someone in our D&D group shows up with a sweater. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, oh, man. yeah, it's crazy. Hi, nerds. It's Annalise. This is a reminder to our listeners, our call to action. Number one, have you set your 23 for 2023 yet? If not, set those goals. Find your nerd goals. We use Trello. Use whatever works for you. Number two, share with us that you set your goals. Share some if you want at Nerd Best Friends. And then number three, as the year progresses and you move those goals over to a completed card, share your progress with us. Again, at Nerd Best Friends. Or you can email us at podcast at nerdbestfriends.com. Finally, if you'd like to support our podcast, you can do so using Venmo at nerdbestfriends or go to nerdbestfriends.com in the right corner, click tip jar, tip your nerds, keep listening, stay nerdy. Justin, what's the nerdiest thing you did this week? Yeah, I mean, it was cool you you both started talking about painting at the beginning. So myself and our friend group recently got into painting because we got Frosthaven and like my first ever miniature that I painted was Gloomhaven. And like it's really fun to kind of crack open your miniature from Frosthaven, paint it, make it your own because you're going to be playing with that character for at least, you know, I would say, I don't know how many hours, like 20 hours, right? 20, 30 hours. Yeah, until you retire that character and you get a new one. So we started doing that and it's been cool to kind of learn the process of how to paint and kind of get our characters ready to go and it was cool listening to slap chop because i've heard of that technique but i never knew really exactly what it is and then the other technique i know about is the the black and then you spray with the white i don't remember mm, what that's the zenith all yeah i just finished mine yesterday so i'm a geminate which if you're not familiar with frost even it's like two people who are like a hive mind one is a ranged person one's a melee person mm-hmm. and i'm like she was tough to paint and i'm like kind of like i'm proud enough of with it like it's like there it's good it's got solid paint on it but i'm like oh man i wish i would have i will have to better. touch it up yeah and that's another thing you gotta you're gonna paint some terrible minis to start absolutely and sometimes when you go like i'll be going through and i'll look at one and be like man that one sure didn't turn out well but the pile of shame is still growing so move on Um, so with your frosty so when when i did gloomhaven it's it's very much there's a lot of surprises the whole idea is like the game is evolving and so you Mm -hmm. don't really want to look ahead so when we busted out gloomhaven we picked our beginning characters and i opened those boxes and painted them but I didn't paint the rest because I was going to wait and see mm. like, all right, well, if my guy dies or retires, then I'll pick a new one and then I'll paint it. Are you going to paint them all up 
Or are you going to do the same thing where just the one when you're ready, you'll paint that? One when we're ready. Yeah. So, and I don't want to do any spoilers, but Frosthaven makes it a bit easier to do that. I'll just say it that way. Yeah. To do it when they're ready versus Gloomhaven. It was kind of hard to do it that way for sure. I'm so jazzed about the speed paint metallics that are coming out. Mm. Oh, like, yes. I don't know how that is going to work. <laughs> yeah, really I, to see. I saw Army Painters releasing that. They're also releasing. So we we're still filling our Citadel rack. It's like, yeah, uh, it's probably like two fists full now. Maybe maybe about half. And wait, did, I don't did. Is that relatively new? Because I don't remember seeing a rack when we were there. So yeah, that wasn't there we, before, uh, he was right? saying Warhammer's new. Right? Yeah, Warhammer. Oh, we yeah, brought point. in. The Warhammer rack about three months ago, and then the paints maybe about six weeks ago. And it's like the advanced paint range. So we have like, I don't know, it's probably like, I don't know, 60 paints, different paints. So we do that. And then we do the D&D prismatic paints, which are, I feel like they're very beginner friendly. Like the paint names are kind of recognizable. They're not like Citadel paints where they make up weird lore for their paints. Terrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> Titles on those paints. Yeah. And they're cheaper too. They're only like two, I think we charge two ninety nine a bottle. So you like, you can pick up a handful to try out painting a miniature without having to invest a lot. And then Army Painter, we don't want to start bringing in individual paints yet because we're still working through our Citadel, but they're like speed paint box. They have one that's like $400, but it comes with all the paints. It's like everything. Is it like 90 paints or something? Yeah. Something ridiculous like that. Yes. All right, Annalise, what's the nerdiest thing you did this week? You know, I just came back from a conference and I was going to talk about being at CADA, which is the California Activity Directors Association, and how absolutely bonkers and nerdy that conference is. But when I got home, I realized Final Girl Series 2 had arrived while I was at the conference. So I, no matter how, I was so zonked out tired yesterday, but I was opening those boxes and looking at all the things. There are 80, I think I, I sent you a video, Rob, 86 miniatures to paint in this series too, but I am so geekly excited. This is forever thankful for you, Rob, for finding this game for me. It is a phenomenal game and cannot wait to paint. I've got to learn how to slap shot, but I can't wait to paint these and get this game on, on my table for some solo play as well. Final Girl 2. I know I've, if you've listened to the podcast listeners, I talk about this in Dark Tower all the time. Oh my God, season one. I couldn't <laughs> shut up about Dark Tower. Season three is going to be all Final Girl. Uh, oh yeah, and eventually the, the the expansion, the new expansion pack for Dark Tower is coming soon soon too. So there, there's a lot mm-hmm. of exciting stuff. But I've got to paint it before I play it because that's, that's Rob's rules. Rob's <laughs> rules of gaming. <laughs> but I'm excited. Final Girl. Ah, I'm so excited. I will probably start with the vehicle miniatures from series one so i can implement those in the game while i'm waiting to paint series two so that's the plan for now what about you rob what's the nerdiest thing you did this week so i am constantly 3d printing to supplement my games and and especially my dungeons and dragons games you know we do like the dungeon tiles and miniatures and the all the 3d stuff that we can one thing that i I think it was a Kickstarter that I backed was from Printable Scenery. It was their Hagglethorn Hollows set. Beautiful, like really cool craftsman buildings, like old timey villages with straw roofs and things. Very much in like a style that is not linear and straight, right? They look like they were kind of built as they went by real people. They have a lot of character and a lot of whimsy to them and things like that. 
Well, we were coming up on this next stretch in my uh, Monday night game where the encounter is they're going to fight a nightmare, which is like a big black horse with a fiery mane that like snorts fire and it's very dangerous. And they encounter that in like the stables. I was like, all right, well, what am I going to, you know, use for this? I could just take some regular dungeon tiles and like make some walls or whatever. But then I remembered that part of that Hagglethorn Hollows was there were all these little outdoor sets. So for the last week or so, I have been printing and painting a cute little garden and a little garden fence and like a pig pen with little pink pigs in it. It's getting to model railroad diorama level of nerdiness, which was not, (laughs) which is not something that I've been in before, right? I'm always like, oh yeah, I'm gonna make this cool dark tower or I'm gonna make this, you know, torture chamber with pentagrams on the floor and stuff. And like, nope, now I'm making this cute little garden set, (laughs) little stables and (laughs) all this stuff. Well, Dustin, really appreciate your time today and and coming on our podcast, talking about your your gaming store. And again, we're both just super jealous. <laughs> like I said, don't be too jealous because it's tough to play now. But I think I'm finally in that position to play. No, and I really appreciate you both having me on. This was a lot of fun too. Hopefully, we can make it down and and see you again, see your shop again. Maybe another free RPG day coming up in our future since. Last year, there weren't any nearby us, so... Yeah, I'll be curious who does it this year, too. Well, we're planning to do it. I just went to their website. I think they're taking orders now, but the deadline to sign up is, like, end of May, so I still have some time. We'll see. We'll see how it goes this year. Fantastic. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. On our next episode, we have an Oscar-winning CGI artist on the show for our first installment of Nerd Careers. Remember to subscribe, share, and give us that five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok at NerdBestFriends, or send us a message by writing to podcast at NerdBestFriends.com. That was an awesome episode, Rob. It was an awesome episode. Dust is good people. We've been really lucky this season. We've gotten uh, a lot of good interview shows. We have, and it's really fun to share the, the nerdisms. If you are in the LA area, West Hills, California, go check out BGE's Tabletop Games. We'll see you next episode. Thanks for listening. Okay. <laughs> so I had it. Oh, okay. Yeah. It. Uh, it looks. I mean.